Hey guys, and thanks for checking out this episode of the John Campia Show podcast, the audio-only version of the John Campia Show on YouTube. This episode was recorded on Thursday, June the 4th, 2020, titled New Mutants Trilogy Possible, says director. And even though you're listening to the podcast after the fact, you can still get your comment or question on the live questions part of the show by using the tip link in the description of this podcast, streamelements.com slash movieblogtv slash tip. You'll get your comment or question on the show and you'll be supporting the show at the same time. And for now, let's get to the episode. Let's get into main topic number one, shall we? And our first main topic today gets submitted to us by Darren Terrence, who writes, Hey, John, I'm really looking forward to getting back into the movie theaters, but I just saw a report that said Cinemark isn't planning on requiring their patrons to wear masks while in their theaters. Isn't that kind of irresponsible of them considering this virus is still spreading? What do you think? All right. Thanks a lot for sending in that question, man. And yes, one of the things we talked about on the show the other day was a number one that Regal has announced that they plan on being open by July in time for tenant opening up. And Cinemark has announced that they're going to start opening their theaters this month in June, I believe like in the next two mm-hmm. weeks, they're going to start the process of opening up their theaters. And of course, that makes somebody like me very happy. I'm extremely excited to get back uh, to the movies. That said, one of the other things that we've talked about and emphasized on this show a lot is that the movie theaters are going to need, especially in the opening weeks, to make sure they do everything they can to say to their patrons, we are doing everything in our power to make sure this is as safe of a situation as possible for you to come and be in the grocery stores sanitize my hands before i go in make sure i'm wearing a mask they wipe down all the the uh the the, uh, grocery carts they do all that stuff to make sure that somebody like me an average grocery store shopper feels safe the movie theaters need to do the same thing and that's why i was a little bit surprised to read this about cinemark talking about their reopening now this story comes to us from movie rights and this is the quote from Cinemark who said, we have been intensively focused, intensely focused in developing enhanced health and safety protocols. Fabulous. Understanding that these factors will weigh heavily on the confidence and peace of mind of our employees, guests, and community as we reopen our theaters. Cinemark CEO Mark Zorati uh, is quoted as saying during the live stream conference call, we will be requiring all employees to wear face masks. Excellent and encouraging guests to do the same encouraging now that's not just an issue of semantics there uh that is actually the the article goes on to point out that when asked to clarify that he did point out that they will not be requiring guests to be wearing masks as they come in now look let me say this i don't like wearing the masks (laughs) i don't I don't find them to be a cute fashion statement. I find nothing enjoyable about it. I go out for my late night walks. I hate wearing the thing. Cause so, and when there's nobody else around me, I'll, I'll pull pull it down. When there's nobody else surrounding me anywhere, I'll, I'll pull it down. I find it a little difficult. To, not when I'm sitting. When I'm sitting down, no difficult in breathing. But as I'm walking, I find after about 20 minutes, it gets a little bit irritating. I don't like it either. But I'll tell you what. I love the fact that my grocery store requires that we wear them going in because it just makes me feel more comfortable Mm -hmm. knowing that any one of these walking Petri dishes around me, that they cough or sneeze, the majority of it is going to get caught. I mean, it's not 100% foolproof. Of course it's not, but it makes me feel a little bit more confident. And it actually has been proven to limit 
doesn't stop, but limits exposure. It, it, it limits exposure. Well, there you go. So, I mean, I like that a lot. And so I, I think it's probably the responsible thing for them to do to make sure that patrons are wearing them. No, I get it. If they're drinking their soda, if they're eating their popcorn, okay, but that's that's a limited amount of time. That's a finite amount of time. Say 15 minutes in total, they're actually moving hand to mouth. All right, okay. <laughs> that means for the other hour, 45 minutes, they're not. Now, don't get me wrong. This is not the be all end all. It just seems to me that living in an environment right now where this sort of thing is really important, why are they not asking, requesting people to do this, requiring people to do this? I just think it makes more sense for other consumers. Anyway, Aaron, uh, you, you see this. What do you think about it? You know, John, I've thought about this a lot. And what I've come to realize is going to a movie theater that does not require masks is like going to an orgy that doesn't require condoms. You can do it. It's just probably not the best idea, you know, and I'm like you, you know, I, I go for my walks and when I see people and, and it's kind of one of those things where like I'll be walking on one side of the street and then someone will pass on the other side of the street and we pull our mask down if there's nobody else around. But there is a there is a, you know, you just pull the mask up and as a little nod of saying, hey. I care about you. I know that I'm, you know, more than six feet away from you, but it's kind of come to be this thing when I'm walking around Laurel Canyon on our walks that people just do it out of a sign of respect. And that's kind of how I look at this is if you are not willing to wear a mask, it's not that I think that you're. I just think that you don't have respect for the people that are in your community oh, and that are around you. I think I lost your battery there for a second. Oh. Anyway, but please continue. I have the image up. Please continue. Did you get the did you get the the comparison that I made to what going to a movie theater is like? Yes. Okay. So we all know that going to a movie theater without a mask is like going to an orgy that's not requiring condoms. Yeah, your mic's working. I just okay, great. Anyone that I actually see who's like out and about, who's not wearing a mask, I kind of look at them and I'm like, yeah, you have syphilis. Like I kind of have that visceral reaction, you know, in the same, and and I, I just feel like it's a, a way of saying, of someone saying, hey, I just don't respect you enough. It's not about that person's, you know, liberties or their freedoms. I mean, we're seeing actual real issues of liberties and freedoms being taken away. Someone being asked to wear a mask so that they don't spread a disease that has the potential to kill or at least severely uh, uh, damage people um, and cause them a great deal of pain. I just think that it's ridiculous. And I think that you're absolutely right. When you go to the grocery store, I have the ability at the grocery store, I can be like Frogger and I can, you know, like sidestep and not be around people and I can practice social distancing. And I may be in the grocery store for 15 minutes. In the movie theater, I can't control if some one who should be wearing a hazmat suit is sitting two rows behind me hacking their their gonorrhea all over the back of my head that's how i feel about it like it, it grosses me out and so um i think that when cinemark says we're doing everything we can to help people feel safe but at the same time we're not gonna ensure that everyone is safe by requiring that the people where can that their our guests are confined within a space for an hour and a half plus, we're not going to require them to use protection, then that's not a safe space at all. Yeah, I, I think the, the main key th thing there that you were alluding to is the fact that 
I don't like when I go outside, I don't wear a mask to protect myself. Right. I wear a mask for the other people around me. Right. And, and I find and, and I think when I've talked to some people who don't like the idea of wearing a mask, particularly when it comes to the movie theaters, and that's what we're drawing all this to is the movie theaters, is that when you know friends of mine who say, well, I don't want to wear a mask because I, I don't really feel I need to. I'm like, OK, but think about the other people around you. You wear it for them. Right. And I find people are generally we're all idiots. But at the same time, I find people are generally do like the thought of, hey, I've got a responsibility to take care of the people around me. And then they go, oh, OK, yeah, if it's to take care of the people around me, it's not for myself. I do it for the people around me, then wear it. But the issue that I run across is people saying, well, if you are concerned about your safety, then you should stay home. OK, well, my husband has like an eighth of a kidney left because he had chronic kidney disease and he had a blood cancer. OK, I have to make sure and kidneys are one of the major organs that can get royally fucked with coronavirus. So I have to make sure that you know, not only is he being protected, but I'm being protected too, so I don't get him sick. I have three girlfriends who have children under the age of five and my, and that are going through chemo, my girlfriends. So, you know, even if they are gonna stay home, they have to go to their chemotherapy sessions. They have to go to their doctor's appointments. They have to, they have to go out into the world. So there are a lot of, I have a friend who has ALS. We all have people that we are connected to who are in some way or another considered at risk. So even if, I think that I'm healthy and I don't need to worry about it. You know, not only are there people in my life that I want to take care of, I don't want to be an asshole. And you know what? If the orgy tent at Burning Man can require condoms, <laughs> Cinemark theaters can require masks. And, and, and that's the thing <laughs> that's too, some yeah. responsibility it's, there. It's, it's just, when I, again, bring back the when I go into the grocery store, part of the reason I feel so good about the go and so safe and i don't even give it a second thought is because when i look around in the grocery store everybody else is wearing masks that makes me feel safe right so don't just think about yourself mm -hmm. think about am i as an individual contributing to letting other people here who are fellow movie fans feel more comfortable while they're here and they're therefore they're more able to focus on the screen and that's why i think you're going to see regal i think you're going to see amc come out and say yeah, we do require our patrons. You know, if, if you're eating or drinking at the moment, fine. But otherwise, we require our patrons. I think they're going to do that. But also, like John, I've been to the movie theater with you. I get it. You're a man who loves his butter with a splash of popcorn. Yes, indeed. I understand that. But at the same time, I have this feeling, well, like when I go to live theater, if you cannot go an hour and a half without eating something, like, and I get it. Theater, movie theater popcorn is the part thing. Of the it's part of the experience. movie going experience. But we are in a very, very, very special time. And you know what? During the 1940s, women stopped wearing pantyhose because pantyhose weren't. No, it was Desert Storm. During Desert Storm, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> during Desert Storm, people, women, took off their pantyhose and said, "I'm sending my pantyhose to put the pantyhose over the over the little things because there was sand getting in them." Do you remember this? I, I remember thing, hearing you know, some. We all make sacrifices. Okay, but at the same time. If that were the case, uh -huh. the theaters might not, might as well not even open. Okay, you're they, right because they make money off no, of it. It's not that just that they make money. That's that's m the main part of their money. Like they literally. You're right. Okay. They okay. They lose money. Only I understand on movie that. So sales. like you know maybe a little like lift lift and pop lift and pop. But what I'm saying is like <laughs> nobody's asking you to go to the movies wear a mask and never take it off. Right. Nobody's asking you to do that. It's, it, like, and if you're in the theater and the closest person to you is like 14 rows ahead of you, 
that might be something. Yeah, then there might be something else to that. Right. But I, I, again, I just think it's when you phrase, I find most people, when you phrase it in the way of, hey, it's not for you. Right. It's for everybody else around you. I find it's really weird. I find most people are like more concerned. This may sound weird because we are a selfish species. Very much But so. I will often find when you phrase it that We're way. We're a species that that is naturally designed for survival. Self-preservation. Self self-preservation. But I often find when you phrase it that way, I find a lot of people when you phrase it, it's like, okay, so I have a bit of a responsibility to take care of the people around me and, and, and I have an effect on how they will enjoy themselves. I feel like people like to step up. It's an empowering position. Yeah. You go, and, yeah, I'm going to be a leader. I'm going to I'm going to show that I care about my community. Well, anyway, that's just our thought. Guys, question is, you know, there's a lot of people out there who don't feel they should wear masks or whatever, but the question is for you guys. What do you think about Cinemark as a movie theater that really needs to get people back in the movie theaters? What do you think about their statement saying they are going to request people wear a mask but not require them? Good move, bad move. Hey, maybe everybody will do it anyway. What do you guys think about that? Jump down to the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right. With that down, let's move on to main topic number two. And our second main topic today gets submitted to us by Geeky Gator, who writes, Hey, John and gang, director of New Mutants, Josh Boone, recently said to SFX Magazine that he is happy he was able to make his version of the New Mutants without much interference, and he is now hoping the studio will allow him to make two sequels <laughs> to complete his trilogy. Even if New Mutants is a big hit, do you think there is any chance at all that Disney would greenlight a sequel? All right. The running world nightmare <laughs> in the world of film fandom for the last three years has been New Mutants. Of course, at the world premiere, I expect that the main cast of the New Mutants will arrive with their grandchildren. It'll in be their a, wheelchairs. It'll be a wonderful family event for everybody. And so it, we finally have it coming. Now, this is, of course, the fourth time we've been saying that we finally have it coming. So who knows? Who knows whether it's actually coming or not? But apparently it's finally coming. So that's great. It's coming. And then we all know that once that's done, the era of Fox X-Men stuff is complete. Kevin Feige now jumps into it. Well, maybe there's hope for it because Boone, the director of the film, saying he thinks there's a chance they could let him do more. It, ultimately, this is, what, this is from the director of New Mutants, Josh Boone said, ultimately, after all this time, I was able to make my New Mutants film, and I am proud of it. What I'm hoping for now is that it will be successful enough so the studio will allow me to complete a trilogy I've got all planned out. So for, let, let's talk about this as, a, as the side note for a second. As a side note for a moment, him saying he was able to make the, the movie he wanted to make. This is a great example of how film studios and director relationships should work. Not because Josh Boone has talked about this before. It's not that the, the studios goes, oh, yeah, you can direct a movie. Yeah, don't tell us anything about it. You just go do your thing. <laughs> no, no, no. no. A, a successful relationship between a studio and a director, please take note, Kathleen Kennedy, is that they sit down with their filmmaker, make sure they're both completely on the same page before cameras start rolling, and once everybody's on the same page and everybody understands their responsibilities and everybody understands the parameters, then you say, okay, now you go. And as long as the director honors those, those parameters that they all set in advance, they have the freedom to go and make the movie they want to make. And the studio saying, hey, as long as you're staying within the parameters we all set together, we're not going to interfere. That's the way it's supposed to work. So that's great. But let's move on to the main thing here. Mm -hmm. 
this notion that listen i i think if joss boone is coming out and saying this publicly and this is just me speculating if he's coming out and saying this publicly to me that suggests there there has been a conversation at some level at some place at some time where Boone has entered into the throne room of Feige and Alan Horn and said, my lieges, if this does well, mighteth I requesteth a second and third parteth, to which maybe Alan Horn said, perhapseth. I mean, I don't know. It, it sounds like at least at some point, some small part of Glimmer of Hope might have been given for, for, to Boone for him to actually come out and say publicly, I'm hoping that this will be done, this will be big enough you know, it doesn't, not a $2 billion film, right. it just says big enough that it will get them to let me do sequels. This is fascinating. Mm -hmm. The reason it's fascinating is because, as it's pointed out in the email, we've all known forever the Fox era of X Men stuff is done. The only last remnants of it uh, before it's swept away, in the words of uh, Grandma Tarkin, is this one remaining nugget floating around in the toilet bowl that refuses to go oh, down okay, new okay, mutants okay okay now get it i am excited for this movie don't get me wrong I'm clearly not since you just compared it to a nugget of shit <laughs> the turd that won't go down <laughs> honestly i am though i've been talking about new mutants for a long time i'm i'm excited to see this movie i really am but everybody knows this is just the last hurrah right because let's say for a second that there is a possibility that it's successful enough, whatever enough means, mm -hmm. that it warrants that has Disney going, yeah, well, let's talk about doing three. What does that do? When, what does that say about whatever plans Kevin Feige has for the X-Men moving forward? Now, granted, Kevin Feige has said he's got no plans for X-Men right now. Well, I mean, this was like a year ago, but he said, you know, I've got a five-year plan. I'm not interrupting my five-year plan, blah, blah, blah. So maybe Feige actually hasn't done a lot of movement on what his plans for. I mean, I mean, I don't know. But if the whole idea is that Kevin Feige is going to take the X-Men and relaunch them within the MCU, then you can't go forward with New Mutants unless, this is where it gets fascinating, Marvel has decided to take a page from Warner Brothers and DC Handbook and go, wow, look at that Joker movie. Mm -hmm. It was completely outside of their shared cinematic universe. They just made made it in its own pocket world, and it made them a billion dollars, got them a Best Picture nomination, got Joaquin Phoenix an Academy Award, got all these other award accolades. Huh, well, I don't know. Maybe if, hey, let's say New Mutants makes $800 million. Maybe we'll let Joshi go over there and continue. Don't use any other X-Men characters because we're going to use them in the MCU. But sure, you go ahead and make a two and three and we're just going to say it's an isolated movie. I'm not saying that's what they're going to do. I'm not even saying that's necessarily a good idea. It just does make the imagination run wild a little bit. I often find it's premature to start talking about sequels before the first movie comes out. Right. That usually, I mean, hello, Universal Monster Universe. Hmm. Tom Cruise's mummy would like to have a word with you. But... I mean, I don't know. At the same time, Aaron, this could just be a director who is completely talking out of his ass in pure, in the purest form of childlike optimism, yeah. wishing upon a star. Maybe. But he's clearly got confidence in this. Mm -hmm. Let me ask you. You're seeing this situation, this guy talking about uh, doing this and that, and I am looking forward to the movie, but it's a movie that's gone through a long, hard road to get to where we are, and it's still not in theaters. I don't know. What do you make of all this? 
I think that this movie probably holds the record for longest marketing campaign. <laughs> I mean, maybe this is all by design and it's just a grand scheme to like fool all the rest of us into just talking about this movie for 18 years before we finally see it. You know, I don't know exactly whether or not it'll be it would be interesting to see if Alan Horn was uh, shocked by this news or, <laughs> you know, because it could have been like, uh, hey, we had no idea that there was a trilogy in the works and he's like, yes, I know, but now the power of Twitter is going to compel you. Um, but, you know, we've also seen, I can't think of any off the top of my head, so this is maybe bad to say, but, we, you know, there are examples of the power of suggestion. And so maybe in his mind, there's a way of saying, hey, guys, I really implore you to come see the movie because if you support this one, there will be more, um, you mm. know, of saying, like, does it intrigue you, John, as a film fan, the idea of seeing the first of a trilogy versus just a standalone movie? Like, does that, like, it, for it me, does. it intrigues me. It does. I mean, as long as they treat it like Star Wars treated episode one, it was a complete beginning, middle, and movie with a completion with open doors, right. Vader escapes, they could then do, as long as they treat it like that and they don't, you know, say have an ending to New Mutants that is more likened unto the ending of Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring, where it ends on this, okay, like a cliffhanger. there's the place that we're going to. Roll credits. La, right. La, 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 Unless like I'm going to get to see where they're going to the very next week on Friday night at right. 7 p.m. on CBS or whatever. Like, I don't want to go, oh, how long do I have to wait? A year and a half? Wait, what? I don't know. That that kind of break between. Yeah, no, I don't as, like. As long as this is a beginning, middle and end with a few open threads that they could go down. And, so, yeah, that. And listen, the idea of one of the things I have always wanted and, and liked the idea of is and i'm never going to get this i understand i'm never going to get this i've always loved the idea of disney and marvel keeping the x-men out of the mcu mm -hmm. in their own cinematic universe because look without yeah. without the 375 x-men characters they already have five years worth of movies planned out with no hulk Mm -hmm. With no, with lots of characters they're not using, they have all the characters in the world they need for that MCU. So why not create a secondary cinematic universe that can have a unique flavor, a yes. unique DNA, different from the MCU? And you've got hundreds of X-Men characters. I like that idea. However, I, I know it's a pipe dream. I know I'm not going to get I know they're going to they might keep Deadpool in a separate cinematic universe but I know they're going to bring the X-Men into the MCU. I just and and I Kevin Feige like will do a great job of it. I because he's Kevin Feige but I don't know. There's just so many possibilities here. Mm -hmm. Let me let me ask you. Yeah. You have a crisp $100 bill in your hand and you're standing at a Vegas window. Oh, I'm and, going to the club. And the oh, okay, but before the club, before the club <laughs> with all those ones, dollar dollar bills. 100%. Um you're at the betting window at the sports book and you got to put down that $100 on if New Mutants makes $800 million, there will be a sequel or New Mutants makes $800 million, which by the way, may make 50 bucks, but I'm just saying, argument's sake, New Mutants makes $800 million. Mm -hmm. You got to put down a hundred bucks. There will be another New Mutants movie or there will not be. 
What are you putting your $100 down on? If it makes $800 million, absolutely there will be another one. Dollar dollar bills is the only thing the studios care about. And so they're going to be like, uh, story? Forget the story. Let's make it work. You like cobble something together. And I do think that it's interesting that within his quote where he's suggesting, hey, guys, there might be two more two more additions to this story. I like the fact that he's also saying I got to make my cut, suggesting also my version of New Mutants is going to have little Easter eggs and foreshadowing, which will contribute to because think about Back to the Future. I don't remember. Did we know with Back to the Future that it was going to be a trilogy? I don't think. No, I don't think so. Okay, because Back to the Future is across the board. It has been said by many. I concur. It is the perfect movie, it, the perfect trilogy. Of, and I'm not saying it's like the most enjoyable movie. You may not even like it. But as far as like foreshadowing and throwbacks and all those things, like you, the, when you we just watched Back to the Future just last week. And all of the Easter eggs, you go, oh, my God, that's in three. And then you watch two and you go, oh, my God, I remember that from like there's so many ways that it's woven together. But you can watch each movie as a standalone. So I agree with you, but I'm I am putting my money if it makes 800 million, which is a big if. But if it makes 800 million, 100 percent, they will be doing another one. I am actually going to go completely opposite. I think. Marvel knows we can make Ant-Man 3 and that'll make 800 million. We could put out we're going we've made a Black Widow movie. It's going to make 800 it might not make 800 but it'll probably make 800 million. And I just think that they're already I think they're already so locked into how they're going to change X-Men that I don't think they're going to let, let one blip on the screen like a really successful New Mutants. Unfortunately, uh, I don't think they're going to. So if I was standing at that same window, I would be putting at, even if it makes $800 million, I'm still putting my money down on that. Maybe he's trying to one. start a movement. Look what happened with hashtag release the Snyder yeah, Cut. Oh no, I mean, he might be trying to do I that. I think he's trying to start a movement. But right now, it's, it's, it's a little <laughs> premature. It's a totally premature. And I lost your camera again, damn it. It's a little bit premature. I keep breaking the camera. It's a little premature for them to try to launch uh, or for premature for him to try to get a movement going when nobody has seen the movie to know if they like the movie or not. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I mean, so I, I, I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see the way they decide to deal with that. Question here is, guys, for you. What do you think is going to happen with this? I mean, this could be just Josh Boone just speaking that completely into the ether of hope and dreams. Maybe he's had a conversation or two. My question for you guys, though. Let's say New Mutants makes $800 million. Huge smash hit. Okay. Do they make more or it's just like, no, they've already got their plans to move on. What do you guys think about it? Jump down to the comment section below and let me know your thoughts. All right, guys, with that down, let's move on to our third main topic today. And our third main topic today gets submitted to us by Robert Gregg, who writes, I love Godzilla, King of the Monsters. And oh, hold on a second here. Let me just do this for a second. Let me keep going here. I love Godzilla King of the Monsters, and I've been hyped for Godzilla vs. Kong. I just saw that the movie got a PG-13 rating. Not gonna lie, I was kind of hoping it would be a really good R rating. What do you think about the PG-13 rating, and do you think it'll affect the quality of the film? All right, thanks a lot for sending that in, Robert. And yes, we one of the movies we've been talking a lot about over the last year or so is of course Godzilla versus Kong. You know the the culmination, at least at this point, 
of this whole monster universe that Warner Brothers has been doing. Of course, we had Godzilla, we had Kong Skull Island, then we had Godzilla King of the Monsters, and now it's all culminating in this Godzilla versus Kong, and now we know the rating. There was some speculation going around that it was going to get an R rating. There was never any official word about that, but there was some speculation floating around it was going to get an R rating. It's not. It's getting a PG-13. Here's the official thing that comes to us. We may still be waiting to see whether the highly anticipated fourth installment in Legendary's MonsterVerse will make its stated November release. There are some whispers right now that it might lose that November release date. I think it'll probably still hold on to it, but we'll find out. But it appears Godzilla vs. Kong is on track as it has received an official PG-13 rating from the Motion Picture Association of America. By the way, MPAA is no longer called the MPAA. It's now called the MPA. They, they took out the of America part. Anyway, for intense sequences of creature violence, destruction, and brief language, according to Bloody Disgusting. So, Godzilla vs. Kong is going to be PG-13. Again, there had been some speculation and people kind of throwing out a wish list to be an R, like really go hardcore, big destruction, big monsters, lots of carnage, go the full yard, make it rated R. <clears throat> and they didn't. It's PG-13. And there are some people expressing a little bit of disappointment. Nobody's revolting over it, but I'm reading some people having a little bit of disappointment and even wondering, does the PG-13 rating, is that going to compromise the quality of how film how good this film could have been my response to that is no this is listen you got to understand something we've talked about this on this show quite often and that is in the world of ratings today right or wrong there are certain things that will get you an r rating and certain things that won't a lot of nudity sex dropping tons of f-bombs yeah, that, that stuff. Excessive gore, but particularly human gore. Like the Saw movies. Like, like the Saw movies, for example. Yes, that can get you an R rating. However, we've talked about this before when talking about PG-13 versus R. When you look at Transformers, you can have a scene where Optimus Prime turns his arm into a giant, has a giant sword come out of his arm, slash the limbs off of other robots, in a robot form, disembowel them, ripping their guts out, and then severing their heads, rolling around on the... But, and it's a PG-13. Why? If that was Captain Jack Sparrow doing it to another <laughs> pirate, yes, that movie gets an R rating. But because it's fictional, like, animated robots, they give you a little bit more leeway. When it comes to, like, aliens or monsters, you can do all that sort of... We've seen a tremendous alien or monster gore. We've seen tremendous amounts of it. But it gets PG-13 rating. And for right or wrong, because they don't, they just don't look at that the same as doing that stuff being depicted with human beings as opposed to robots and monsters and CG characters and all that kind of stuff. Understanding that, how would the things that would give Godzilla versus Kong an R rating, how would any of those things help Kong versus Godzilla? Listen. I love boobies, but I'm not going into Godzilla versus Kong. Oh gosh, I hope we see some boobies. Like, like no one's going into Godzilla versus Kong hoping that. Well, maybe there are some people, but generally speaking, we're not going in to see that. We're going to see Godzilla throw Kong through five buildings. We're going there to see Kong pick up 
an oil tanker out of the ocean and use it as a club beating Godzilla over the head. That's where we're going to see Godzilla versus Kong for. We're not going there to like have Godzilla body slam Kong and have Kong go, fuck, that hurt. We're not, we're not <laughs> going there to see that. That's not what we're going into Kong versus Godzilla to see. We're going in to see some Kong versus Godzilla action and none of that stuff by the, the way the MPA operates and functions and gives ratings today, none of that stuff would give Godzilla versus Kong. Listen, I am skeptical of Godzilla versus Kong because I was not a fan of Godzilla King of the Monsters. So I'm a little bit skeptical of it. But I think if you are somebody who's been excited about Kong versus Godzilla, I don't think it getting a PG-13 rating in the least should cause you any concern because it doesn't suggest any of the stuff that you're going to go see this movie for is going to be absent. So... Yeah, I, I mean, if it would have been interesting if there was an R rating attached, sure, interesting, but I don't think it was absolutely necessary. Aaron, you're seeing, you know, you hear a, a lot of people talking about R rating, people, everything should be hard R, blah, 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 but I don't know, you see this stuff with the Godzilla versus Kong, what do you think? I'm on your page, you know, you say, hey, am I on camera or am I not on camera? I keep returning it off. You're on camera. Okay. Uh, you know, I'm on your page, you know, you say, hey, I love boobies, but I don't need to see them in Kong. Hey, I love ding-dongs and I don't need to see them in Kong either. Um, yes, I said ding-dongs because you said boobies. So, <laughs> I, you know, I, I agree with you. Um, and what I also, I remember, I was thinking back on when my cousins and I used to play, we used to build a lot of Legos and, you know, we'd play with Rock'em Sock'em Robots and we'd play with little, you know, cars and stuff and our cars would just destroy things you know we'd have a little lego man and the car would hit him and run him over and do all these kind of things but we weren't actually taking real cars and driving over people and so i liken <laughs> these types of movies transformers godzilla kong i liken them to when i was a kid and i was playing with my toys it's just now the toys are 70 feet tall and i get to watch them on screen playing with each other you know, and, and coming to life. So that's how I think about these films. It's not necessary for them to be cursing. And I also go, you know, I would love to be able to take my 14-year-old nephew to see this movie. I think that would be a really fun experience for us to have together. And if it's a rated R movie, it just becomes a much larger conversation and, you know, uh, oh, well, I don't know, I haven't seen it yet. Maybe I should go watch it first and find out if it's appropriate. I love the idea that people can go with their, you know, young teenage children and enjoy this as a family. Okay, high five, Joey. Um, I, I like that we can, that this can be a an exciting, dramatic, um, you know, action-packed, family film still we need those not every film needs to have an r rating we don't need to see boobies and ding-dongs and hear f-bombs every you know other sentence you know I, I'm, I'm into it I, I i like it and um i think that they're actually going to end up ultimately pulling in more money with a pg-13 rating because of the type of film that it is yeah and and again like the thing is even though they're monsters we grew up loving King Kong and Godzilla. You want to get kids into this. Yeah. And like, I don't, again, I don't need to see Kong 
clothesline Godzilla and then grab his King Kong dick and start beating him over the head with his dick and all that kind of stuff. Like that's not the ding dongs. Sorry, let this me is rephrase. a family show. We call them ding dongs. I, I stand corrected, <laughs> but may, I don't know. Maybe that'll be in the director's cut. Who knows? Question here is, guys, what do you think about the idea of Godzilla versus Kong getting a PG thirteen? I don't think it compromises the movie at all. I think we're going to get every ounce of glorious monster on monster violence that we could possibly get, and it doesn't need to be R rated. But maybe some of you guys can think of some situations where maybe it might improve the movie. I don't know. What do you think about it? Jump into the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys. With all that down and out of the way, we're going to be moving into our uh, live questions part of the show. And once again, if you want to send in a live question or comment uh, and you want to support the channel at the same time, you can go to the streamelements.com slash movieblogtv slash tip or just use the uh, tip link in the top of the description of this video. We're going to take a short break before we do. But in the meantime, Erin is going to take off and we're going to, besides the fact that I keep having the battery on her uh, camera die, That's because okay. the battery was unplugged for whatever reason overnight oh, on your camera. No. So sorry about that. But anyway, Erin, in the meantime where can people follow you and your adventures online you can find me at instagram um, at aaron l cummings also on twitter i will be there as well joey can be found at rat pack cats and don't forget go to netflix and check out la 92 all right thanks so much for being here and thank you joey so guys that uh that's that for the main topics so hang tight with me if you will just indulge me for a moment i'm going to take a short break here rest the vocal cords stretch the legs i'm going to go refill my drink give you a chance to run and use the bathroom so hang tight guys don't go anywhere we will be right back all right guys and we are back thank you so much for your patience and indulgence as i took a little bit of a break there and now let's not waste any more time and dive in and start taking your live questions and comments. We're going to start things off here with, uh, where are we? We are at Matsif Jada, who writes, The most underrated comedy of all time and Jack Black's best role, in my opinion, is Nacho Libre. You got to give it another shot, John. No, I don't. I, I, I Listen, I don't hate Nacho Libre. Don't get me wrong. I don't hate that movie. Not by any stretch of the imagination. But I am I am personally not a Nacho Libre fan. Um, I thought it was okay at best, I think. And I, I really don't need to go back and, and watch again. But the fact is, the important thing is you love it. And that's all that matters. You don't need me to like it. As long as you like the film, that's all that matters. And listen, you're not alone. I've got a number of friends who really, really love that film. And that's great. It's just, it's never really been one that's worked for me all that much. All right, next one up. Calvin Servo Pano writes, John, the Heaven Sent episode of Doctor Who. Oh, somebody else was bringing that up the other day. There's an episode of Doctor Who called Heaven Sent that they said was possibly their favorite episode of television ever. The Heaven Sent episode of Doctor Who, and I agree 100% with the other guy. This episode made me follow Rachel Talale, who I don't know who that is, on any show slash movie that she directs. Again, listen, I'm not somebody who watches Doctor Who. I just, I mean, when I was a kid, I used to watch the, uh, can't remember the actor's name, the one who wore the big hat with the scarf. I used to watch that Doctor Who when I was a kid, but I, I really haven't watched Doctor Who since. So somebody mentioned this one episode of Heaven Sent and they said, you don't even have to watch or know any other Doctor Who to watch it and love it. So I'm, I'm going to try to check out that episode because a lot of people have always wanted me to watch Doctor Who. So I might check that out. Okay. Uh, let's see here. Next one up. Evan Ryan writes, Hey John, with new mutants being a comic book movie in the horror genre, would you like to see a star Wars movie in the horror genre? Uh, I know I would. Thanks. I, I gotta admit, I go back and forth sometimes on that, but not really. 
I'm not really interested in a Star Wars horror movie. Now, listen, it's also a little bit different because we get four or five or six comic book movies a year, you know, when we're not in lockdown and pandemic mode, whatever, but we get four or five or six comic book movies a year. When you get that many movies and that many installments, then branching out and it's like, let's try a horror film. But Star Wars isn't really a genre. You know, like comic book movies are a genre. Star Wars isn't really a genre. It's forever interconnected with being fantasy adventure, right? At least to me. Now, that's not to say that if they decided to try it, that it couldn't work. Of course it could. But I don't think I'm sitting here thinking, man, I just really wish they would make a Star Wars horror movie when at best we get one Star Wars movie a year at best. Now we're going to go in a number of years before we get another Star Wars movie. So yeah, when you get the volume of movies that like comic book genre gets, yeah, you got to mix it up a little bit. But when it's Star Wars, I, I don't know. I don't know. It could work. It could work, but it's not something that I'm sitting here kind of, you know, salivating to see. I just want to see good space fantasy adventure. But, you know, that's kind of me. Who knows? I'm sure at some point they'll try it. I'm sure at some point they'll try it. All right. Willow writes, it's been quite a crazy and difficult time and year for everybody. Yes, it has. Uh, I really hope that we will get through this soon and things will get better. And six, 12 months from now, we might be able to look back and laugh at ourselves. I mean, you know what? One of the things that we as a, a species... We are incredibly resilient uh, as a species. And I find that one of the ways, one of our ways of dealing with a lot of stuff is to look back even at our hardest times and laugh. Um, some of us, that's more natural than others. Like I remember a couple of years ago, I don't know if you guys remember this. There were fires in LA and in Burbank. And I took a video of me myself standing in front of my house and saying, hey guys, how you doing? And then I turned the camera to the hills across from my house and the hills are on fire. Right. And it's like, ah, it may come and burn everything I own. <laughs> and I just laughed. Right. And there were people who got angry at me. They got angry at me for laughing. It's like, this is serious, John. And I'm just like, I know it's serious, but that's how I deal. That's how I cope. I mean, I just look at it and try to laugh at the absurdity of life. Sometimes what else is there left to do, but laugh. You want me to show that and then cry. Other people might, and that's cool. Nothing wrong with that. But my coping mechanism is I laugh and I, so yeah, I wouldn't doubt at all, Willow, if like a year from now we look back and, at, at this horrible time and if part of our coping mechanism um, isn't to, to laugh to some degree. But then again, you know, there, there's stuff like we don't laugh about what Hitler did. I mean, there's certain things we don't laugh about e even in the, in the best of times, but I don't know. But for, for a lot of people, I think laughing is, is the way we cope. And uh, so I'm sure there are, there are going to be people who look back at this and laugh, not because uh, this was such a funny thing that happened, but because that's just the way a lot of people cope. And however you cope is the way you cope. And I don't see anything wrong with that. All right. Thanks for that, Willow. All right. The Wakanda Forever writes, hey, John, I just want to say it was not a mistake what you said yesterday. As the Wakandan, uh, it meant a lot to me and many others as well to keep it movie related. I give you comments. I give your comments two thumbs up. So my film recommendation for the day is Black Panther, which of course it is every day. Um, and yeah, listen, I, I, I don't like getting into world events and politics and stuff like that because this show is supposed to be an oasis. A lot of people come to this show as an escape from all that other stuff. So then we can go back and face it later. And yesterday, 
because of situations and circumstances being as they are, I did have to delve into it a little bit and I, I'm not really comfortable doing that. Um, but it is what I had to do yesterday. So uh, thank you for that, Wakanda. And I appreciate the kind words. All right. Wakanda also writes, my comic company movie list, Marvel, Black Panther, DC, Superman 2, Dark Horse, The Mask. Oh God, I love The Mask. Jim Carrey, Cameron Diaz. Cameron Diaz was like my celebrity crush for a long time just because of The Mask. I suggest this. Male or female, man, woman, doesn't matter. The sexiest character I think I've ever seen in a movie. Like just pure liquid dripping sex appeal. Male or female was probably Cameron Diaz in The Mask. There, I mean, just and the movie's hilarious and fun and great. Anyway, uh, Iron Kickass, Kickass is great. Uh, John, I almost forgot. I really need to talk to you, but not over the computer. If you can, after the show, meet me at Death Peak at midnight. And of course, that's a reference to one of my big major pet peeves about movies. Like, oh, you've got the solution to our to the whole movie's narrative. Tell me. No, I can't tell you over the phone. Meet me at Death Peak at midnight, and of course, the guy will die. So that's my uh, pet peeve. All right, uh, Joel Drummer Zero writes. Hi, John. Hope you and and movie fan gang are safe and well. We are. Thank you. Do you think they should make the Snyder Cut into three separate hour and a half films, considering when Justice League was first announced, it was going to be a two-parter, then release them one at a time every Friday? No, I, I don't think that's the way to go. I think they really should do it the one of the two ways that they're talking about doing it, which is either just release it as one big event. You know, it's going to be like four hours, they said, maybe a little bit more, <clears throat> or break it up into like five episodes and make it a limited series release it as a limited series i have no insider information let's be clear i have no insider information on this whatsoever i would be willing to bet money that they're going to release it as a four five or six part limited series event i would almost bet money on it because that would work better for a streaming service. It'll keep people talking. It's not like, because you know what on streaming services, something comes out and then people stop talking about it five days later. But when you release it one week at a time, then you're talking about it for months. And that's what they're trying to do with this being on HBO Max. So I think they're going to release it as a limited series, five, six episodes, something along those lines. And they're, they're going to treat it like a TV series, like a short TV series, kind of like Game of Thrones, the final season, like six episodes. I think they're going to do something like that. All right. Uh, Darklock63 writes, there's only been one DC Marvel crossover that respected both companies' characters, JLA Avengers and Avengers JLA miniseries by Kurt uh, Busick and George Perez. Unfortunately, no longer in print, although I'm sure Mr. Burnett has a copy. Listen, don't forget about, though, that they did. I keep forgetting the name of the series, but DC and Marvel did this crossover event and it respected both of the sides of the characters. Where it was like Marvel was in one universe, Justice League and DC was in another universe. And their two universes, one was going to be wiped out of existence by this high power. And in order to determine which universes lived, they set up a tournament of one-on-one -on -one combat matches. And whichever side won the most individual combat mass uh, uh, matches, their universe would survive. The other universe would be eliminated. And so they set up these one-on-one -on -one battles. Superman versus Hulk, uh, Storm versus Wonder Woman, Robin versus Jubilee, uh, Batman. Who did they was was it Captain America? Was that they put Batman against? Might have been Wolverine. No, Wolverine was matched up against Lobo, I think. 
I think. Anyway, so they had this big like Namor versus Aquaman. They had this big long list of these one-on-one battles. And then what they did was they published who the one-on-one battles are and they had the fans vote on each one of the battles. And then the results of those battles would be played out in the comics. So Superman ended up beating Hulk because that's what the write and vote was. I think Robin ended up beating um I think Robin ended up beating Jubilee and then Marvel won a couple and whatever. So I, and I can't even remember what the final result was. That was actually a pretty interesting little run they did and it paid respect I think to both sides characters. I thought it did it kind of well. Now Of course it was a novelty event, but so is any kind of crossover between the companies as a novelty event. I actually thought it worked pretty well. So that was me. Anyway, thanks for that dark lock and you're probably right. Rob probably does own those comics. All right, Ryan Loner writes. One of two. The really big issue with bringing on a different Batwoman is almost everything in the show so far revolves around Kate and the lockdown already robbed us of those stories and any closure they were supposed to have. So what Ryan's referring to, well, let me keep on going with Ryan's second part. So is the relationship between Kate and her arch nemesis slash sister not getting any resolution? And is Jacob never going to find out the vigilante he hates so much was actually his daughter? I can't see any way to wrap this stuff up without Kate on screen. So what for those of you who weren't around yesterday. Um, the reports going around right now, although I have not seen CW confirm this, but the reports going around right now is not only is Ruby Rose not going to be Batwoman anymore, but her character of Kate Kane, the character Ruby Rose played, Kate Kane, who is Batwoman, they're actually going to say that Kate Kane isn't even Batwoman anymore. They're going to bring in a new character who's going to take over the Batwoman costume. I don't like that move. I think you just recast just recast. I, I I honestly do not see any benefit to saying Kate Kane is no longer Batwoman. It's this new character is going to be Batwoman. Just recast Ruby Rose. Just say, okay, everybody, this actress is Ruby Rose now. Then you get to play out because you're right. Those are additional problems that get caused here. You know, her arch nemesis is her sister. These big cliffhangers, these storylines they've been doing, they're all like, so all of it is just abandoned. I don't understand. Now, again, it's important to point out that once again, CW has not confirmed that this is the case, but those are all the reports going up around and I don't see CW contradicting them. So I don't know. It, it is a really, it's a head scratcher, Ryan. It's a head scratcher. Absolutely. It is. All right. Major Tom writes, my favorite extended cuts. That's an interesting subject. Number one, alien three. Number two, Kingdom of Heaven. That's actually not a bad extended cut. Number three, Lord of the Rings trilogy. Number four, Dark City. Number five, Batman versus Superman. Number six, Army of Darkness. Number seven, Jet Li's Fearless. I don't think I've seen the extended version of that one. Uh, number eight, Troy. Number nine, Blade Runner, the final cut. Number 10, James Cameron's Avatar. I've also don't think I've seen any. I don't think I've seen that extended cut either. Yeah, I'm. I have very rarely, if ever, preferred extended cuts over original releases. I'm often fascinated by extended cuts just to see what was removed. And sometimes it's kind of cool stuff, but ultimately it's like, yeah, but it, it worked better to tighten up the movie a bit and all that kind of stuff. I don't know that I've ever really had an extended cut that I just straight up preferred over the original theatrical cut. Batman versus Superman Dawn of Justice is probably an exception of that, an exception to that. However, Batman versus Superman Dawn of Justice also created problems that the original theatrical version. I, I, I think I moderately prefer the extended cut of Batman versus Superman Dawn of Justice. It gave us more Superman. 
it really made it a Superman-centric movie as opposed to a Batman-centric movie. Um, it, it did a number of things that I enjoyed and liked. However, you know, it also just backed up a dump truck and just threw a whole bunch of scenes more in without doing any editing. And it created a few more problems. And, I, and I'm sorry, but I think you really do feel the length of the movie, especially somebody who watches it for the first time. They, they really do feel the length of the movie. So, yeah, I'll say Batman versus Superman Dawn of Justice is one that I think I slightly prefer over the original theatrical theatrical cut. But, yeah, normally I'm, I'm just one of those guys that I usually prefer the theatrical cuts. Odd, but there are a number of good extended cuts in there, especially like the, the Lord of the Rings ones. Um, Courtney Haynes writes, <clears throat> I'm a Patreon. Thank you so much for being one of our Patreon supporters, Courtney. I appreciate that. And I support your show for multiple reasons. First being that your show is about the beauty of movies and not about drama and tearing people down. I know you get riled up sometimes. We all do. But the basic crux is always there. Well, thanks so much, Courtney. Yeah, and listen, <clears throat> like one of the reasons... Like on, on like my Facebook and things like that. Yeah, I'll get into world events and I'll talk politics and stuff like that because I'm the same as everybody else. We all do. But on my show, I just want this show to be a place where it doesn't matter what walk of life you come from. It doesn't matter what your political persuasion is. It doesn't matter about any of that stuff. When you come in here, we're all film fans together. And we'll debate and we'll argue and whatever. But we're arguing, debating in the fun environment of being film fans. Right. And we understand that we're talking about the non life threatening issues of movies. Right. So we only take them to a certain degree of seriousness. Um, like, you know, I had an, an epiphany the other day and I, I, I shared it a little bit. But, you know, I there are there are YouTube channels and, and, and other outlets out there that I don't appreciate the way they conduct themselves. Or, or that, let me rephrase that. That sounded too harsh. So, sorry. Let me take that. So let me step that back and rephrase that. Uh, that I don't appreciate what their general philosophy seems to be about how they approach wanting, how they approach fandom. But that said, looking at the events going on in the world, I had and, and thinking about how I really want to maintain my show and my channel to be a place that we can all just come apart from all that other stuff, that we can leave all that other stuff outside, even for just a moment and come together and just be film fans together and celebrate film together and then go back out into the real world problems with a little bit of a refreshed, renewed mind and maybe a little bit of a different perspective, whatever. I was thinking about that and I remember thinking, you know, that just like everything in the world, the John Campy show isn't for everybody. Right. I mean, I'm clearly the most handsome, charming, wonderful, intelligent and eloquent personality on YouTube. That goes without question. But being that as it may, you know, the John Campy show, like everything on the Internet, is not for everybody. And I had this epiphany the other day about, you know, a lot of these other uh, like YouTube channels, or whatever, that, that maybe I don't approve of the philosophies they have. Or approach, but I remember thinking, man, I'm glad those channels are there. And I'm glad they're doing what they're doing, because at the end of the day, we are just talking about movies and we are just talking about um, the the Oasis. We're just talking about our approach to that stuff. And, yeah, I can have some harsh disagreements with with certain philosophies. I can have those. But at the end of the day, especially when you look at the larger world around us and what's going on, I remember I just had a thought to myself of, you know, considering my show isn't for everybody. Even though I have philosophical issues with some of those, I'm glad they're there because those sh shows will appeal to other people. 
and they get to have an oasis and they get to have a break from all that stuff's going on. And I firmly believe that having these places, whether they're more along my philosophical slant or other philosophical slants, I think having places like these, like ours, is a really helpful thing that we can, because we can get so exhausted so quickly about looking at between viruses and, and uh, like civil inequality and all the things that are going on in our world right now, we can get really exhausted and beaten down, defeated. And I think when you have places like this, that we as a community can get together, whether it's in this particular pocket or in another particular pocket on YouTube or whatever, the fact that we can have these places to take a break for a second, take a breath, refresh, renew, focus our energies on something else for a minute. I think that does nothing but help us when we go back out and face the real world and the real world problems again. I think it's beneficial. And so, yeah, I just remember having that thought thinking, man, yeah, when you think outside of the world of movies, I'm glad these other places exist. I'm glad they're there. I think they're helpful. I may not think they're helpful overall to, to fandom culture, but whatever. That's a different issue for a different time. Right now, when you get into the real crap like th th we're in right now, I realize, you know what? No, I think it's good they're there. I think it's good that they're there. I think it's good they're doing what they do because they are offering a place for people to get an escape from what's going on in the world for a minute, focus on other things. And I think ultimately that's only beneficial. Um, and so, yeah, there was just a little bit of an epiphany I had. So anyway, there you go. Uh, it, it's when the crap hit the fans that you realize what are the more important things, you know, what are the more important things? And, um, and yeah, that was just a thought that I had. Anyway, thank you for that, Courtney. I appreciate that. Okay. Next up, Ben Rayner writes, Hey, John, if there's a nuke explosion, oh, this is going back to, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll let you, for those of you missed yesterday, I'll let you know what this is about. If there was a nuclear explosion during a picnic, there's only one answer. Go inside of a fridge. A little bit of a Indiana Jones reference there. Uh, isn't that a good option? Uh, everyone knows a fridge protects you from that. Thanks for all you do. Keep bringing that filthy. So what, what Ben is referring to is somebody wrote in a very logical question yesterday to me asking, hey, John, do you think that the theater chains had a plan in place for something like a pandemic that would force them to close their doors and not do business for months and months and months. And I was like, no, <laughs> they didn't have a plan because that is a doomsday scenario. It's like, and I said at the time, it's like asking, hey, what's your plan if you have no access to air for 10 minutes? What's your plan? You don't have any device that'll give you air. There's no air in your room. You don't have any breathing apparatus. What's your plan if you don't have air for 10 minutes? Well, my plan is I die. There's no other, there's just, you, you don't, there's no planning for that. There is no planning for that. If you don't have access to air for 10 minutes, you die. So what I said at the time was, um, you know, movie theaters, no, they don't have, a, okay, what's our plan if we have to shut our doors and can't do any business for three or four months at a time? Well, that's just a doomsday scenario. It's like asking what Ben is referring to. It's like, what's your plan if you're having a picnic and a nuclear explosion goes off in the park? There's no plan. You die unless unless you are Indiana Jones and you have a big empty refrigerator nearby that will save the day. All right. Thanks for that, Ben. Uh, Doug uh, Terranovian writes, your background reminds me of the post credit scene in Shazam. Which post credit scene like the the animated stuff or the one with the centipede or the one at the lunch I'm, which one are you talking? i'm not sure which one. oh i get it headless superman also let me go to the wider shot this will make it make more sense 
That's ah, uh, that's what yeah, I get it. I'm like, what blue light popped? Oh, headless Superman walking into frame. Didn't even think about that. Good observation, dude. That's a good observation. All right, uh, Tim Platt writes. So I watched the Maltese Falcon. Oh, nice! I watched the Maltese Falcon for the first time. Loved it. Also, if you're a fan of old school uh, Looney Tunes, I cannot recommend enough the new Looney Tunes show on HBO Max. Thankfully, I have a PS4, so I didn't have to watch those on my phone. Listen, I'll tell you what: I have not watched all of them, but I did watch HBO Max. Pardon me, released one episode, and we we talked about this on the show the other day. They released one episode of their cla- of Looney Tunes, and. It was a Tweety and Sylvester show, and it's brand new. And I remember thinking when they said they're going to do these Looney Tunes things, I think, ah, they're not going to be like the old ones. They're not going to feel like the old ones. They're not going to have the violence. They're not going to have all that stuff. And we'll see what this is like. But I'll tell you what, I saw that Tweety and Sylvester one. And if I didn't know this was a new one, I, I would have thought, oh, this must be from the 60s. This This must be one of the older ones because it it really is a true Tweety and Sylvester. And I was really impressed by it. You know, HBO may have completely botched their launch of HBO Max. And they did botch their launch. But I still think it's going to be a great service. And that Looney Tunes thing, Tim, I I got to agree. I thought that looked great. I'm looking forward to seeing more, you know, whenever HBO Max stops being idiotic and gets HBO Max on Roku. So I can watch it. That would be great. Thanks. Don't make me run around, do jump through hoops to come up with some other way. I use a Roku. That's my television. Put your damn app on Roku. Get over yourselves. Make it happen. Anyway, once they do, I'm really looking forward to watching the rest of those Looney Tunes things. All right. Hashtag release the Doolittle cut writes. Who do you think uh, the new worst actor slash actress is getting consistent work in Hollywood is today? For me, it's Jason Clark. Really? I find him to be a very good actor. That's just me personally. Uh, the guy's just bland and uninteresting in everything I've seen him in. Thanks and stay safe. I, I don't know, man. I, I actually appreciate even when he's in a really, really terrible movie like the Pet Cemetery remake. Oh, my goodness. That movie was so bad. That movie was so bad and I was really excited for it. And I love the trailers movie was so bad. Anyway, I really personally quite like Jason Clark. There is more of a, a subtlety to his acting, but to me, his subtlety works because then it allows him to really punctuate moments, emotional moments, because he keeps it instead of being at a nine. So when he hits a 10, you barely notice the difference. He keeps it at like a five. Most of the time, he keeps it subtle. So when it comes time to hit those emotional points, it's like, boom, it's a big gear shift. I actually really personally like him. But hey, it's it's all subjective. Who's the worst? Now, I used to say that the worst actor working in Hollywood getting regular work was Channing Tatum. I, I He was terrible. He was awful. I mean, there's, there's no sugarcoating it. He was dreadful. But that dude worked and worked and worked and worked and worked and he got better and better and better. And then he kind of found his niche in comedy. And and I can't remember the name of the film. It was a Ron Howard film, I think, that he did. He, he was a supporting character in a Ron Howard film. Um, I'm trying to remember the name of it. Um, it, it had the Paul Blart star. And I can't remember who the other star was. It was a little comedy. I think, like I said, I think Ron Howard directed it and he had a supporting role in it. And I watched him in it in that supporting role. I'm like, 
He's really funny in this. I think he's got some good natural comedic timing. This might be his thing. And then, of course, he went and did 21 Jump Street. And I'll tell you what, ever since then, I've seen him even as more dramatic stuff. And I'm like, wow, he's improved so much. I actually really look forward to Channing Tatum's movies now. And I used to think he was the worst. And I really look forward to his stuff now. Who would I say is the worst today? Worst actor getting consistent work today. Um, I don't know. There's a few really poor actors or actresses that I can think of, but they don't really get consistent work. So I, I don't know whether to go. I don't know. I haven't really thought about it. I, I, I try not to be overly negative. So I, I haven't really thought about it. Um, but it used to be Channing Tatum. It used to be Channing Tatum. But uh, hey, Jason Clark, it is for you. I personally kind of like him, but that's the beautiful thing about the art. We all have different subjective opinions about it. All right. Manny G writes. Hey, John, wanted to thank you for giving us movie content throughout uh, tough times and giving people of all colors, races, a fun place to come together. I live in Hollywood and it's been crazy here, but your show keeps me sane. Thanks. Uh, thank you and the community. Well, listen, dude, thank you so much. And it is awesome that the community can be there uh, for you during the crazy times. And, and that's awesome. So thank you for being a part of that community and being here with us. We really appreciate it, man. And I love, I used to live right in Hollywood. Actually, the first place I lived, if you guys will forgive me, I'm going to turn on the AC in here. So I might get, you might hear some background noise. Um, the very first, when I moved to LA, the very first place I moved to was Hollywood. I moved right onto Sunset Boulevard. On Sunset Boulevard between La Brea, oh, it's right by La Brea. There's a, a big Ralph's grocery store. And right beside Ralph's is this side street called Formosa. And there's these Formosa apart, the car called uh, Poinsettia. There's a little street beside there called Poinsettia, and there's an apartment complex there called the Poinsettia, uh, Poinsettia Apartments or something like that. And that was the first place. My window from my room overlooked Sunset Boulevard. Um, right across the street from my window was the strip club on Sunset Boulevard that you see in the opening credits of Entourage. Because in the opening credits of Entourage, they're driving down Sunset Boulevard, and you see the Cinema Dome, and then you see the strip club with these flashing lights, right? I, that was, that's literally was right across from my bedroom window. So I lived in Hollywood and I know Hollywood can be crazy, especially in times like these. So do take care of yourself, Manny. And thanks for being here and being a part of our community. All right. Next up, uh, Kazu here, here, here I writes, hi, John can't stand constant Sony bashing messages. We should thank Sony for Marvel films outside of Disney. So instead of four Marvel movies a year, we can maybe get six or seven. Also can't see Sony corporation ever, ever selling Sony pictures, tremendous synergy with PlayStation, etc. Yeah. There was a time when Sony was looking at possibly spinning off and selling their movie division, but then they had a change at CEO. They got a new CEO and the new CEO is hardcore committed to the movie division at Sony. He came out, uh, this was a couple of years ago, but he came out and put out extremely strong messages that Sony is a movie production company. We are many things, but we are a movie company as well. And he had, because he's a big film buff, the new CEO, well, new, he's been there for a couple of years now, but the incoming CEO was a major film buff, all that kind of stuff, and strongly, strongly believed in the movies. And listen, I'm with you. I think Sony has done a lot of really good stuff. I think they've done a lot of good stuff. And, you know, when you look at, I mean, they're responsible for Spider-Man, Spider-Man 2. I love the first, The Amazing Spider-Man. 
Not so much the second Spider Spider Amazing Spider Man. Not so much Spider Man Three. But then they come out and do Spider Man into the Spider Verse, which I thought was the third best film of the year. I thought it was the best comic book movie of the year. And yes, that's the same year that Avengers: Infinity War came out. And I thought Spider Man into the Spider Verse was the best comic book movie of the year. Not a lot of people will agree with me on that, and that's fine. I love Infinity War. You know, I love Infinity War. But I thought Spider Man into the Spider Verse was even better. Um, yeah. I think people who just blindly bash on Sony aren't really sitting down and taking into account all the stuff that they've really done. Uh, they've done some tremendously good stuff, and uh, I like them being in the game. They've done some bad stuff, but, you know, everybody has. But, uh, yeah, there, so there's that. All right, next up, Lee Crow writes, one of three. Hey, John, found your channel two years ago after the Avengers Infinity War. Well, thank you. Speaking of which... Uh, was an instant fan after hearing you talking about Man of Steel being underrated. Love that movie. I don't understand why more people don't. No, neither do I. But hey, all films subjective. Uh, my family has a Christmas tradition where I usually bring over a movie to watch. Five or so years ago, I took over Man of Steel. At the You Are My Son line, my I'm a man dad turned to me and asked why I hadn't recommended it earlier. And, looked, and he looked close to tears. I love seeing that featured in your video. Of course, what Lee is talking about is uh, last week I put out a video, an editorial video called The Case for Man of Steel, in which I kind of lay out why I love Man of Steel so much. It's a 27-minute long video, so it's a little bit of a deep dive. Anyway, uh, in your video, because that scene means so much to me, call me a crappy nerd if you want, but I thought Superman was always a little bland, and I was never a fan until that movie. Well, I mean, you know, one of the things, and Robert and, and Schnepp used to talk about this a lot, too, is that... Superman, for a while in, in pop culture, became a little passe for, for a bit because, I mean, what can you really do with Superman? He's the golly gosh, apple pie, kitten out of the tree, perfect superhero who is just basically unbeatable. And really, what, what can you do with him? Now, out came Superman Returns, which was one part total homage to the Christopher Reeve Superman, but also a second part of trying to introduce new dynamics and vulnerabilities to the Man of Steel, you know, and it was really the, and of course, Superman returned. Superman was fully Superman. He was, he was who he was. He's, he had been Superman for a long time, but he was still a man that struggles. What does it mean to be a God amongst mortals? How do you find your place in that world when you are a god, basically? And, and they really honed in on that, and I appreciated that part of Superman Returns. Man of Steel found a way to make Superman feel relevant and real and really the part of our world as opposed to a theoretical uh, uber, uber being, you know? Anyway, I, I could get caught up in talking about Man of Steel every day. I, I could. But yeah, I, I, I see what you're saying. But, and again, it's always confounded me the more people didn't like it. But hey, that is the beauty of film. It's all subjective. Not everybody's going to love what we love. Not everybody's going to hate what we hate. And, and it, it is. That's the beautiful thing about film, man. But I'm glad it has that meaning for you. And that sounds like a really special moment you had with your dad, especially at that scene in the movie. So thanks for sharing that, man. All right, next up, Matthew Grant writes, Hey, John, I just want to say I love you. Thank you so much. And I love Rob and we'll follow you guys till the end. Looking forward to Rob's return on the show. Stay strong, you guys. Well, thank you so much for that. And I'm sure Rob appreciates that as well. Uh, so thanks, man. Appreciate it. It's always nice when people want to write in and just say kind things. All right. Hashtag release to do the little cut rights. 
Since we're getting the Snyder cut and the Ayer cut is rumored, they shot that rumor down, though. They they shot that one down. Even David shot him down, and HBO Max guy kind of shot that one down, too. So probably not worth holding out hope for that. Uh, what are the chances of the 4.5-hour butthole... <laughs> cut being released on peacock of course that's a reference to cats uh butthole cut being released on peacock we'll see hooper's true artistic vision of cats it'll be peacock's answer to mandalorian easy just add 70 million dollars man it's still you know the thing that amazes me look make no mistake about it tom hooper let me just bring this up for a second uh tom hooper imdb tom hooper is a not a good director, not a great director. He is a world-class director. He did maybe my favorite film of the last 10, 10 15 years now. We're, we're, now we're just, we're, it's out 11 years. It no longer fits in my last 10 years thing. But one of my favorite films, and maybe my favorite film that won Best Picture at the Academy Awards, I'm not sure, but is uh, in the last number of years, is The King's Speech. That movie Seriously, it's jaw-dropping how absolutely brilliant that movie is with Colin Firth. It is a beyond brilliant film. Then he did his version of Les Mis, which I thought was really great. I loved what he did. Then, he's, then he did The Danish Girl, which got tons of Academy um, Academy nominations. He did the this miniseries John Adams with Paul Giamatti that I thought was really great. He is a world-class director. And then he did Cats. Just highlighting again, we all have a bad day at the office. Even Tom Hooper has a bad day at the office. And that's the main reason I was really excited about Cats, just because of who was directing it. That's it. That's it. That's the only reason I was excited about Cats is who's directing it. <sighs> Everybody's got a bad day at the office. All right, J uh, James Germain writes, Hey, John, was wondering if you got to see that uh, that Dylan O'Brien parody of the social network scene. It, it looks insane. I was wondering about your thoughts. Keep it up. I have no idea what that is. So I, I so number one, no, I haven't seen it. Uh, I don't think I've heard of it. Uh, so that's completely off my radar. So unfortunately, I can't give you my thoughts on it because I have no idea what it is. Unfortunately, if you, if you have a link to it or something, feel free to email it to me at John at the John and, and maybe I'll check it out. But as of off the top of my head, I have no idea what that is. Unfortunately, James, sorry about that. All right. James O'Rourke writes. After the comment I sent yesterday, I had a lot on my mind. I work nights and sleep during the day. So obviously it's rare that I can watch you live. Last night I had a dream. Somehow I was on the set of movie talk with you, Robert Meyer Burnett and the legendary John Stepp. And I woke up crying. Just thought I'd share the emotional moment from today. Thank you again for everything you and the crew do. Well, thank you so much. Those were good days, man. The, the, the days of heroes when it was me, Robert and, and obviously Schnepp. Uh, those were good times, man. I remember when I created Heroes, um, I still remember. This was a defining moment. When I created Heroes, my first thought was, I, I can't host it because I'm already hosting Movie Talk. I can't host. I need somebody else hosting. And then it, became, it was obvious. Schnepp, you need to host it. Now, at the time, and this might be surprising because we all think about how good John was at hosting that show. At the time, Schnepp had never really been the host of a show, and he was very hesitant to do it. He honestly didn't think he, he could do it. He said, no, 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 you host it, and, and I'll just be a regular on it, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, dude, I really think this is your area. I think you'll do great, and I think you need to host this thing. And so we put him in as, as the host, 
and he was good at first, but then he took to it like a fish in water. And he was just so natural uh, at, at running, at leading that show. You know, he just did such a great job on it. And those, those were, but yeah, those are good days. It was me, Rob and Schnepp um, on heroes. I, I always really, really enjoyed doing that. And I, and I miss those. I miss those. I do. Uh, all right. Next up. Thanks for sharing that. James Dan Ketchum writes, you said yesterday, I don't think a human can become the queen of hell. You clearly haven't met my ex-wife. So what, what Dan's talking about is somebody wrote and said, you know, it'd be great. It'd be great if at the last scene of Lucifer season six, the last scene of the final episode of Lucifer, we see Lucifer on the throne of hell, but then the camera pans back and Chloe is sitting on the th on another throne next to him. And I said, well, I don't think they can do that because, you know, I, not even a demon can be king of hell. You know, in the story of Lucifer, only uh, an archangel can be the king of hell. And of course, that's what Lucifer is. He's an archangel. And so I said, I don't think they could have Chloe be that. Plus, understanding the character of Chloe, would Chloe really leave the earth and leave her daughter behind? No, she wouldn't do that. But anyway, that's that's the stuff that Dan is talking about there. All right. I still think they'll find a story way that even though she's just a demon, that Ma Mazikeen, that Maze, uh, ends up on the throne of hell. I, I don't know that. I have no insider information, even though Aaron's going to be on Lucifer this season. I actually have no insider information on that. But I think it'd be cool if Mazikeen ends up on the throne of hell. All right. Tristan Riera writes. Hey, John, when the Snyder Cut is released, will there be a way to estimate how much it would have done at the box office compared to the cinema version? P.S. I was obviously kidding when I said Affleck would be back as Batman. He had his good reasons to leave. He did. Um, no, it wouldn't have been a lot, though. And I think everybody agrees with that. I think I think Zack Snyder agrees with that. I think Deborah Snyder, I mean, Deborah Snyder herself, when they, you know, when the Hollywood Reporter interviewed Zack and Deborah Snyder, after the announcement of Snyder Cut, like one of the things that Deborah Snyder went out of her way to point out was this never would have survived in the theaters. It never would have been put in theaters. There's just no way. Th this Snyder Cut dream we have never would have been put into theaters. But HBO Max, this, this new avenue opened up a door for us uh, to do something because on HBO Max, there's value. In the theaters, there was no value. Um. So, no, it, it really wouldn't have done much. It wouldn't have done much. And then there's no way of ever knowing was what would it have done had the theatrics. See, the bigger question is what would the theatrical, the, the Snyder Cut have done in theaters if the theatrical version never got released? Like if instead of the theatrical version, they had the Snyder Cut instead would that have done better or worse than what Justice League did, which was like, what, $650 million? My guess is um, it wouldn't have done as well as the theatrical release for, for two reasons. One, when you compare Justice League, the theatrical version, to say Batman versus Superman, Justice League had a higher audience rating and a higher critic rating. So audiences and critics actually liked it more than they like Batman versus Superman. On top of that, considering Snyder thing is going to be close to four hours or even over four hours, less people would have gone. Like I can tell you right now, Ray Ora, you know, my graphics guy who loves the comic book movies. If you had mentioned to him, oh, yeah, we're going to go see uh, Batman. We're going to go see Justice League movie. How long is it? Almost four hours. I'm out. That's exactly what, and that's what a lot of people would have said. A lot of people said, I'm out. Not to mention fewer show times and all that kind of stuff. I, I don't think, 
there's no empirical data that would suggest that it would have made more. All the data we do have suggests it would have made less. Uh, but as far as a re-release goes, re-releases, generally speaking, don't do much business anyway. And I think that's why Deborah Snyder said this thing never would have gone into theaters. But on HBO Max, there's value because it could draw attention to the to the platform and maybe get more people signing up. And there's value in that. And that's why, you know, six months ago when one of the viewers wrote in and said, hey, John, well, what do you think about it? maybe Snyder on HBO Max? And I'm like, nah, because, oh, wait, no, wait, that's a great idea. Just release it. As, I said, don't even finish it. Just release it as it is and people would eat it up. So, no, I don't think it would have done much, but there's but no, there's no way of knowing there's no calculator out there that tells us what would it have done in theaters. There's nothing there that can tell us that, unfortunately. All right. Next up, the sock rights. My comment about Corporal uh, Upham. Oh, yeah, that was Saving Private. I said I guessed it was in Glorious Bastards, but it was Saving Private Ryan. Uh, my comment about Corporal Upham was Saving Private Ryan. He was the kid that defended the German soldier from the rest of his squad. And that didn't work out so well. That didn't work out so well. Mm. So, yes. But anyway, thank you for following it up because, yeah, I instantly went to I was like, is that Inglorious Bastards? Are you talking about the scene and the, the, the cafe with Inglorious Bastards? Anyway, but thank you for writing in to follow that up, Sock. I appreciate it. All right. Next up, Sock also writes. Also, uh, if you no one's if no one's told you yet, thank you for your support and understanding of the black community. It means a lot to me. So here's your formal invite to the cookout post COVID. Well, thank you so much for that, Sock. Uh, I, I appreciate that very, very much. Um, and uh, thank you for just writing in to say something kind. And I will look forward to the cookout because I haven't had one of those in a long time. All right. David Atkins writes, extremely niche video game recommendation. The Otogi games on the original Xbox. I know you're mainly a PC gamer, but they are beautiful. Captivating games playing as an undead samurai warrior tasked with cleansing the city of demons. Amazing tone and soundtrack. Well, I'll tell you what. If you were just trying to pitch to me a movie, I would greenlight that movie. If you were just pitching a movie, uh, an undead samurai warrior tasked with cleansing the city of demons, I'm in. I'm in. So it sounds like a great concept for game. I've never heard of it. I, I, I'm, I'm curious, Dave, is there... Because, you know, sometimes there's way to play the older games on the newer systems or whatever. Are there any PC variants or are there versions of it that you could play on like a PS4 or something like that? I'd be curious to know. If so, could you email me uh, again at john at the john uh, I would like to know because that actually sounds pretty interesting. Thank you for the recommendation, Dave. All right. Next up. <clears throat> Uh, John Campy is my hall pass rights. Uh, every time you talk about Nathan Fillion not being able to do Uncharted, I scream at the at the, at the uh, screen. He could he could scenes he could do scenes of old Drake at the beginning and at the end of the trilogy, telling the story of his younger years. I'm feeling better now. Okay, yes, but now you're making up ex now you're making up things to force him into the movie, right? Instead of the movie, now you're saying let's shoehorn him in. Let's 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 change the movie to make a spot to have him in it. You know, I mean, so we could all do that with any actor if we wanted to, but of course, the movies are not there to serve the actors. The actors are there to serve the movies. So if the screenplay for uh, the Uncharted movie <clears throat> calls for and has in it an older Nathan at the beginning and an older Nathan at the end, then yes, 
then yes, absolutely Nathan Fillion, who, by the way, his show, The Rookie, is really good. You should check it out if you haven't yet. I like that show. Um, then yes, yeah, that could work. But what you don't do is, well, that's not in our script. Well, let's just change our script so we could shoehorn in an actor. I, I That I don't agree with. That I never think, whenever you put the actor before the movie, it most normally does not work out well. It in most circumstances it doesn't work out well. So, yeah, you could create a moment for him that sits outside of what the real movie is and what the real story is. But that's not really the same thing, though, is it? That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm saying is you can't start a franchise. Uh, let me uh, let's, let's ask Google. Hey, Google, how old is Nathan Fillion? I think he's like 49, 49. So I don't know that you can start a uncharted franchise with a with a 50 year old by the time it comes out he'd be 50 i don't think you can start an un, a um uncharted franchise with a 50 year old nathan so that that's what i was referring to in general yeah if you want to shoehorn in older uh, scenes you could but and if the script already has it go for it um but yeah but listen i i do love good canadian kid i do love nathan fillion that dude whether it's serenity whether it's the rookie whether it's whatever i by the way he did a movie with uh what's the name of the the felicity girl um and she was just in star wars the rise of skywalker why am i free? and she's in the americans why am i freezing on her name anyway if you guys know who i'm talking about write it in in the, in the live chat uh that would be great um uh, Carrie, 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 it's Carrie something. What, what, Carrie, uh, why am I freezing? On Come on guys in the live chat. Help me out here. Throw me a bone. Carrie Russell. Thank you. Uh, double, uh, Ben Rayner in the uh, live thing. Carrie Russell. So Nathan Fillion did this little movie. There, there's a big Broadway play called Waitress, but years ago, there was a movie version of that. It was a movie first, I think. And it was Carrie Russell and Nathan Fillion. So good. So good. And Nathan Fillion's great in it. He's not the lead. Kerry Russell's the lead, but it, it's so good. If you get a chance, if you're a Nathan Fillion fan, you owe, your, owe it to yourself because it's also just a darn good movie. Go and check it out. It's called Waitress. Uh, all right. Uh, Russell Amador. Speaking of Kerry Russell, uh, Russell Amador writes, Hey, John, I'm not sure if you've heard this piece of news, but apparently, according to Paul Bettany's representation, they are looking to complete filming of WandaVision in July in Los Angeles. I hope this is a true, true, because damn, I miss the MCU. Yeah, well, uh, theoretically, they had already finished principal photography. Actually, WandaVision already had its wrap party. But as Kevin Feige always says, they always do reshoots on all of their properties. They plan to do reshoots in advance. Because as Kevin Feige has said, you know, you get into the edit and you start thinking of ways, hey, maybe this could be improved a little bit. So they already plan advanced reshoots. So what they're going to be doing in July is going in to do some pickup shooting and some reshoots. But again, that's not a problem because that's literally what Marvel does with every single thing they do. They always schedule reshoots in advance. So, yeah, it sounds like they're going to be going in. It's We've been hearing about different movies and TV shows going back to production. James Cameron just went back to New Zealand to pick up production now of Avatar 2. It, we're starting to get the wheels moving again, which is always good to see. And I am looking forward to that show a lot. All right, Jedi Laurie writes, one of two. I want to thank you for sharing your case for Man of Steel. I love doing that video. Thank you. Superman is one of my favorite superheroes, and I was so excited about seeing Man of Steel in 2013. Unfortunately, 
My heart was broken just minutes before the movie started by the person I was with. Oh, that's terrible. Uh, I couldn't concentrate on the movie because of the pain caused by the man sitting next to me. This tainted my view of the film. But I watched it again after your video, and seven years later, I now love it, and the joy I was looking for in Man of Steel has finally come. I mean, well, I think you just pointed to a larger issue, too, Lori, is that because movies are experiential events, movies are experiences, right? They're experiences. That's what movies are meant to give us, an experience. They are experiential events. Thus, there are other factors that can impact our experience with the movie. First time I saw Glorious Bastard speaking of that movie, I hated it. Sometime later, I watched it again and I loved it. I'm like, why did I hate this movie? All I can think is maybe I was in a bad mood that day or maybe I stubbed my toe. I don't know. But I think what you're talking about, Lori, is, is highlights that, that truism, which is, as an experiential event, there are other things that can affect and influence how we receive that experience. So, yeah, you go into a movie and you're in a really uncomfortable situation. It's going to affect your experience with the movie. For sure it will. Absolutely. At the same time, you go to a movie and there's a circus event and you know you go to the opening of a DC or a Marvel movie and there are thousands of people there dressed in costumes, celebrating and cheering and stuff like that. That adds to the experience. Maybe both of those extremes are unfair, but it's true. They, they add or affect the experience. So as a fellow film fan, I am really sorry you had that that experience with uh, Man of Steel, but I'm glad you had the opportunity to give it another go, and I'm glad you love it now, because I certainly love it too. So thanks for sharing your story, Jedi. All right, next up, TJ Lynn writes, I was never a Gene Hackman fan before. Oh, God, I love Gene Hackman. Uh, but due to quarantine, I binged his films, and now I love him in all of his films, maybe because I'm approaching 40. Uh, his on-screen older man persona uh, entices me more. Mississippi Burning, which is a movie I recommended not long ago. Uh, Unforgiven, yes. And I think you've got to talk about French Connection. Hold on a second. Uh, let me just bring up... Uh, uh, of course, you got to bring up French Connection. You got to bring up French French Connection too. He retired. Um, I thought way too early, but you know what? It, he'd been acting for a long time. He wanted a break from it all. The last movie he did, which is unfortunate that it was his last movie. The last movie he did was a move was in two thousand. It's been sixteen years. Sixteen years since Gene Hackman did a film. Sixteen years. Um. He's 90 years old now, Gene Hackman. But he did a movie with Ray Romano called Welcome to Mooseport. And that, that's too bad there was that. Uh, he did Behind Enemy Lines, Royal Tannenbaums. I think Royal Tannenbaums was the last great film he did. So he did that. Uh, hi, I He did Heartbreakers with Sigourney Reaver. I liked Heartbreakers. I know a bunch of people didn't. But I, I wasn't a big fan of uh, the Mexican. But he did The Replacements with... Um, uh, Keanu Reeves, which I, I really like the replacements. I did Enemy of the State back in 98. Love that. I mean, yeah, but then that's all in the later in his career. I mean, Gene Hackman was excellent, but I love that you watched Mississippi Burning. It might be my favorite performance of his. Uh, Unforgiven, the greatest Western of all time, but I would really highly suggest watching The French Connection 1 and 2. 
Uh, if you're starting to get into a little bit of a Gene Hackman kick, watch The French Connection one or two. All right, Mr. TJ Lynn writes, better Constance Wu film, Crazy Rich Asians or Hustlers? Just rewatch both. Love Crazy Rich Asians. Hustlers is fine. I These are two very, very different movies. Um, very different films. And my wheel gets stuck. There. Sorry, my wheel gets stuck. Um, very, very different films. And I like them both. Hustlers is a more of a, there's a a deeper theme to Hustlers. Crazy Rich Asians is more of a, uh, just a delight movie. I got a lean, a lean Crazy Rich Asians. I had a very, very good time with Crazy Rich Asians. I I thought that movie was way more enjoyable than I thought it was going to be. So I had a really good time with that. I also really do enjoy Hustlers a lot. Uh, but I think I will personally lean towards crazy. But again, they are two very different movies where she is playing two very different roles um, surrounded by very different casts. But yeah, I, I will lean towards Crazy Rich Asians. That's just, just a, a really good, fun time at the movies. I enjoyed it a lot. All right. Uh, Diamond Dogs Puppy Rights. One of two. Hello, John and Aaron, who Aaron, who stepped out. Uh, today's underrated flick is 1996's The Frighteners. That's the Peter Jackson film uh, starring Michael J. Fox and directed by Peter Jackson. Very fun hybrid of sci-fi paranormal horror comedy. It has slowly developed uh, a culture status over the years. However, uh, it is still one of those flicks that is either foreign to people or that Michael J. R-rated Ghostbusters knockoff. Uh, in my opinion, a franchise would have been awesome if the film was better received in its initial release diamond dog over and out you know it's funny whenever for for whatever reason and he doesn't even have a huge role in the movie i don't know why when, when i think of the frighteners besides initially thinking of peter jackson i think of jake Busey. i don't know why i don't know why my mind goes there but my mind goes to jake Busey. so i, I mean there's there's that for whatever reason um yeah frighteners listen i'm not as big of a frighteners fan as other people i like it though it is weird to watch that though as a Peter Jackson movie pre Lord of the Rings. And it's weird watching that because honestly, if you sat me down, let's say I'd never heard of or seen the Frighteners before and I sit down and watch it. And then you said to me, by the way, the guy who directed this was Peter Jackson who did the Lord of the Rings. I I probably wouldn't have guessed it. I probably wouldn't have guessed it. Yeah, it's, it's a nice little film. Uh, all right. Mr. TJ Lynn writes, if you haven't done so, I would recommend Handsome Hawk's Predestination. That didn't, I don't believe that got a theatrical release. He's like a time cop, right? He's a time cop and he's bringing, he's got the new person and it's their temporal, uh, whatever things that they do. Anyway, uh, that movie is weird, but as far as time travel, time travel paradox goes, it's actually kind of makes sense. Not the best movie, but very interesting. Yeah, I never did watch it. I believe it was a straight to VOD movie. Uh, I remember seeing the trailer for it years ago. I can't remember what year it came out. What year did it come out? Like 2014 or 2015? Anyway, uh, I don't think it was a theatrical release at all. Uh, so I, I didn't see it, but I was intrigued by it. It kind of had a little bit of a looper feel to it. Like I remember watching the trailer for that and thinking, this has got a bit of a looper feel, but I, I never did get around to watching it. So I might have to check that out at some point because I do love Ethan Hawke. I love me some handsome Hawk. So I'll have to check that out at some point. All right, next up, uh, TJ also writes, I can't guarantee you will like Predestination because we know in general you find time travel movies not well written, but this one is kind of different. Uh, it will be quite surprised if you don't at least find this movie interesting after watching it. Well, again, like I said, the, the concept is neat and... 
the fact that it's Ethan Hawke and the fact that it's um, it's got that Looper kind of feel to it. And I do like Looper. I like Looper a lot. Uh, I might find it interesting. I could. If I get a chance, I'll, I will check it out. Thanks for the recommendation, dude. Uh, Joshua Richard writes, Hey, John, Arrow is my favorite show, and I know you have mixed feelings about the show. I would rank the seasons from worst to best. Uh, four, six, seven, three, five, eight, two, one. How would you rank the seasons? I'm, I'm not going to rank the seasons because, honestly, after season three, they it just becomes a blur. I did end up watching all of them, but I, I have no recollection of what happened in which season. I really don't, and I don't care. Arrow was at its best in seasons one and two, particularly season two. Uh, you've got season one is the best season. I actually found season two to be the best season. And season three started off really strong. And then they did the whole Captain Buckles thing. And then I checked out. So I would actually say season two is my favorite. Season one was my second favorite. And the first half of season three was next. And then everything else after that is kind of a blur. Some of it's okay. Uh, some of it's just awful. But I, I just found the writing really went to hell after the first two and a half seasons. But uh, it, it had its moments. It had its moments. Like getting into later into Arrow, it did start to have its moments. But I, I couldn't possibly rank all the seasons because I just don't know what happened when. It just becomes a blur. All right. James L.H. writes, hey, John, about reboots. Last Starfighter is a good choice. I would also like a reboot of Big Trouble in Little China. I read rumors ages ago with Dwayne Johnson. No, that wasn't rumors. He he spoke about it himself. He was on. He's no longer. But he was on to do a Big Trouble in Little China reboot. Um, uh, also, a sequel I hope for was more adventures with Mal and the Serenity crew. Such a great series and film. Listen, Ser Serenity. Um was which of course was based on the firefly tv series serenity was one of the best sci-fi movies uh, in the surrounding years that it came out i i, I like the movie even more than the tv series and the great thing about the movie was you didn't even have to know the TV series to watch it and appreciate it. You had deeper appreciation if you did know the TV series, obviously, but it was a great standalone movie. It was fabulous and still one of my favorites. If I'm not back in 10 minutes, you come rescue me. Uh, it's one of my favorites. And of course, it introduced me to Chiwetel Ejiofor, who I think is one of the greatest actors in the world right now. He was, of course, the operative in that. I love that movie. Unfortunately... Just didn't do well at the box office. Nobody went to go see it. Um, if I looked up, hold a second, Serenity uh, box office. Let's see what it did. <laughs> uh, okay, that's the wrong Serenity. Um, did, 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 uh, fishing, uh, here we go. Serenity made, it had a budget of $39 million, which is really cheap. It made $40 million worldwide. $25 million domestic. 14 million internationally grand total 40 million dollars for a great sci-fi movie and it lost the studio a lot of money so yeah it, it's it's unfortunate i thought the movie was great but its fate was sealed that uh that it made so low made so low which sucks because that movie is great if you get a chance do watch it it's like almost 15 years old it's going to be 15 years old this year crazy all right uh next up joel writes 
Uh, hey, John, I love the show and hope you are having a great day. I am having a great day. Thank you. I'm reading Dexter's Final Cut, one of the books that inspired the series. There is an actor observing Dexter for a role by going to crime scenes, etc. Do actors ever do that in real life? I believe they do. I think we've heard lots of stories about actors who go on like ride alongs with the police and stuff like and stuff like that and do things to get into roles. I've, I've heard lots of stories about that. So I don't know for sure. I wish Aaron was here right now so I could ask her that question. Um, so I don't know for sure, but I've heard plenty of anecdotal stories about stuff like that happening, especially when they're like more method kind of actors. So I'm going to go out on a limb, Joel, and I'm going to guess yes. And you reminded me about how much I miss Dexter as bad as the series finale was. I would love for them to revive the series. I would love for them to do another series of Dexter saying it's now eight years later, however long it's been since the finale. And this is what he's up to now. I would love it. Love, even though I hated the series finale, I would love for them to revisit Dexter. Love it. I hope they do it someday. They probably never will, but I hope they would. All right. Wakandan Forever writes, my biggest film fan regret. I was at a local comic convention and saw Ernie Hudson uh, at a table. I was young and didn't pay much attention. Uh, years later, I realized he was Winston in Ghostbusters. Is there a celebrity encounter that you regret missing out on? Well, the one I usually go to uh, for missing out on and I have nobody to blame but myself because I've had no less than three or four opportunities is Weird Al Yankovic I know that sounds weird weird uh, I know that sounds odd but he is the only celebrity I have ever seen and been too scared and nervous to approach and say hello to it's the only it's the only time and I have been around him and no less than three or four different events, including one movie premiere where we came out of the movie premiere and then we were walking across the street to go to the after party. And we realized right in front of us was Weird Al. And we got on the escalator and he's literally Weird Al standing on the step in front of me. And Anne, who has always been there whenever I've had a chance to meet Weird Al, but I'm always too scared. She's like, he's just poke him on the shoulder and say hello. I'm like, no, I can't. It's Weird Al. I'm too scared. And it's the only time ever. I mean, I have walked up and talked to Harrison Ford. I have walked up and I'm, I'm not I'm not nervous about that stuff. I don't care. But for whatever reason, I every time I got paralyzed with with fanboyism to go up and talk to Weird Al. And I have no explanation for that. I have no explanation for that. But I've always been too starstruck to talk to Weird Al. So those are my regrets. All right. Rob Tari writes. I know we don't know the direction of the new Hercules remake, but I think Kurt Russell as Zeus and Jeff Goldblum as Hades would be interesting archetypes for the characters. Just a thought. Again, I, I generally don't get into the X actors and X role conversations because it is impossible. We don't know how those characters are being written. Those might be the worst castings in the world for all we know. So I, I don't, I try to tend not to get them. All I ask for as a fan, Rob is since I don't know what the script is, just tell me you're getting good actors. You know, to play those big female male leads, just tell me you're getting good actors. That's all I care about. And so if they were to announce that Kurt Russell and Jeff Goldblum, both of, both of whom are performers that I really enjoy, if they were to find out tomorrow that those guys are playing the roles, then I would just give the directors and the casting people the benefit of the doubt. It's like, okay, I know these are two good actors, so I'm good. You know, that's kind of my thing. So I'd be down for it. But again, I, hard to say when we don't know what the thing is. That's generally why I don't do the X actor and X role thing. All right. Wakanda Forever writes, 
Quick movie theater tip. If you are alone and don't want to buy a giant popcorn and a gallon of soda, if you ask the staff for a snack or kids pack, they will let you buy one. Even as an adult, I never knew this. They will always have enough for kids. I, I know that you're right. And the reason Wakanda Forever, I know that you're right, is because my wife um, always orders a kid's size. She always does. Now, of course, she's the size of a hobbit, but uh, she always uh, she always asks for kid size. I'm just kidding. She's not that short. Um, she asks for kid size all the time. And they give it to her. And even that's when she's with me. So even when she's alone, they let her have that. So I don't know if there's a rule. Maybe some theaters do. I'm just saying I'm not aware for sure if there is a rule that says as an adult, you can't get a kid size pack. I'm not sure such a rule exists. Maybe it does in some places, maybe, it, and it doesn't in others. I'm not sure, but I know you were 100% right about that because I've seen my wife do it. So, yeah, there's that. All right. Uh, Wakanda Forever writes, hey, John, I could really use this right now. Could I please get a quick Wakanda Forever salute from you? No, I'm not going to do anything physical. No. Uh, thanks, P.S. Film fan community, hang in there. We'll get through this. We will all be in theaters together soon. I can almost smell the popcorn now. Dude, I'll tell you what. I, I took a walk the other day. And, you know, the AMC, second busiest movie theater in the country, the AMC Burbank 16, 12-minute walk up the street from me. And I, Ann and I went for a walk, and we went down there, and it's like, standing in front of the AMC Burbank 16, um, I just remember... Actually, let me see if I can pull up the, the picture. I'm not sure I've still got it here. Hold on a second. Uh, do, 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 do. Let me see if I've got it. La, 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 la. Oh, there it is. Okay. So Ann and I went down and walked down. This is just the other day. And uh, stood in front of the AMC Burbank 16. And as we're there, I, and I remember saying to Ann specifically, I can almost smell the popcorn. Now, there was nobody inside. There, there was nobody uh, you know, inside cooking popcorn. And it's not like it was a Pav it was more of a Pavlovian thing more than a dissonant resonance thing where it's like, oh, I actually in the back of my in the back of my mind, I can smell it because there is actual. Pop no, there was nobody inside. But I remember being in being just standing there at the theater. It's like I can almost hear the chatter of people. I can almost smell the popcorn and just standing there in front of that movie theater. um, Standing there in front of that movie theater, thinking to myself, like I could kind of feel that anticipation I always get when I go down to the um, when I when I go to the theater and I'm getting ready to go into the movie. There's this anticipation I get, and as we were just standing there, and and took a shot, as we were just standing there, just thinking. Yeah, I could smell the popcorn. I'm with you on that. I could smell the popcorn. I could hear the buzz. I could feel that excitement of wanting to go in and, and watch a movie. It was there. And so hopefully you're right, Wakan, and hopefully you're right that soon enough, sooner rather than later, in a safe way, uh, we'll be back in the movie theaters together and enjoying that all as a film fan community. All right. Uh, Star Wars Rocks writes, hey, John, I was talking about uh, the Flash TV show in my question yesterday. I don't know what I, I I can't remember what the question was yesterday. Sorry, that was like 80 questions ago, so I can't remember. You can, so listen, guys, remember, if you're going to send in something and you're referencing a previous thing you sent in, make sure you let me know what it is you're referencing. So because now I feel bad because you just because I'm not quite sure what it is we're talking about at this point. Sorry about that, Star Wars Rocks. But 
maybe it'll come to me later. Maybe it'll come to me later now that you mentioned that. Maybe that'll come to me later. All right, thanks for that, dude. And thanks for trying to clarify something that clearly I might have missed out on before. So I appreciate that. All right, Colby Harris writes, I'm introducing my fiance to 40-year-old Virgin Time, my all-time number one favorite comedy. Uh, she's never seen it, and I can't wait to see her react to it. Should I get the regular or unrated version to show her? I, I'm usually... I like both, but 99% of the time I say, just go with the theatrical version. That's just the, the best way to go. The theatrical version is plenty great. It is my all-time favorite comedy because it has everything I love in good comedy. It's got a relatable story. It's got raunchy humor. I like good raunchy humor. There's definitely good raunchy humor in it, but it's also got some heart. It's also got heart to it. It's one of the reasons why I love Clerks 2 so much, Kevin Smith's Clerks 2 so much, because it's got great raunch, but also great heart. And that's one of the things I love about 40-Year-Old Virgin and why it is my all-time favorite comedy. So good on you, Colby. You're being a good husband. I recommend going with the theatrical version to start. All right. And if she likes it, then, then you know, another time, watch the unrated version. An anonymous viewer writes, Hey, John, a few days ago, multiple outlets said that Evan Peters had been cast in WandaVision in a mystery role. Do you think he'll be playing Quicksilver again? And if not, who could he be playing? It's important to understand this. Multiple outlets were not reporting that. One questionable outlet reported it, and then a bunch of people just referenced them. Okay, so there is a difference between multiple sources report. That means that like Hollywood Reporter, Variety, and Deadline, they all have their own sources that tell them X is a news story. That means multiple sources report. When one source that isn't one of the major trades says something and then everybody else just referenced them, that's not multiple sources reporting. That's just a multiple sources repeating. Um, I don't even know if that story's true. I, I At this point, I, I haven't seen anything. Yet. It could be true. I'm not saying it's not. I'm saying right now, I haven't seen anything that lets me, that lends uh, me to thinking it's credible. Maybe it is, and maybe I'll do more research on it. But my initial, uh, when I initially stumbled across that thing, I, I didn't see anything that made me think this is legit. And if it is legit, that will become apparent sooner rather than later. But at this point, I don't even know that that report is true. I haven't seen anything credible that says that that's actually true. It may be. And if it is, we will find out soon enough. So let's uh, let's hold on and wait for a minute. All right. Stubble McShave writes, New Mutants is about a bunch of kids with superpowers. The sequel is about the same characters, but they are all middle-aged parents now raising teenagers. It kind of becomes like The Incredibles, doesn't it? I mean, we joke a lot about it. About how, hey man, when the when they finally have the premiere of New Mutants, they're going to be senior. All these kids are going to be senior citizens now. But the reality is, I saw somebody. I don't know if you guys saw this picture too. Somebody put up an image the other day of the cast from New Mutants together behind the scenes, and then a picture of all those cast today. And oh my God, they look different. <laughs> They look so different today because they're they were at that age, at least a bunch of them were. They're at that age when they shot New Mutants that a lot changes in three, four or five years. A lot because remember that trailer came out three years ago, but they probably shot it four, four and a half years ago. They're at that age where they physically go through a lot of changes in those four and a half years. And they look different today. It is, it's actually a little bit startling. It is kind of crazy to see that. All right, let's see here. Uh, Matt McClure writes, 
Sorry, John. Been here since the AMC, but I'm out until Rob's back. He adds so much to the show. I understand uh, yours and his reasoning for not being here, but I feel like he should. Uh, he shouldn't be shut out by any of the online movie fan community. I'll be back then. I'm going to tell you right now, Matt. Please don't come back. I don't want you here. Uh, I have no place for anybody who uses their viewership as a blackmail bargaining chip. I, I have no desire to have anybody here that does that. Listen, I, I'm having lunch with Rob today. I was on the phone with Rob last night. Uh, I get along great with Rob. Nobody is shutting Rob out, at least not here. Nobody's shutting Rob out. I love and adore Robert uh, more than anybody else. But quite frankly, um, I don't want the type of person or viewer here. I don't want the type of viewer here who will come at me and say, I'm not going to watch a show unless you do this. Okay, bye. Off with you. I don't need you here. I don't need you here. Uh, I really don't want my community to have people in it who are those types of people that use their viewership as leverage and blackmail. You do this or I'm not watching you anymore. Okay, bye. You tra You think, in the words of Bane, you think that gives you power over me? You think that gives you power over me? Bye. See you later. I don't want you back. Uh, anyway, an anonymous viewer writes, uh, Hey, John. With Marvel doing new live-action TV shows, what comic book character uh, that we haven't seen yet would you like to get a TV show? Thanks. I get asked this question all the time. Like, what character that we haven't had yet do you want to see now? And that's a tough one. Now, the one I go back to, even though this is cheating a little bit, this is cheating a little bit because we have seen this character in a movie before, but it's never been anything more than a quick quick cameo the one i would really be interested to see because when you go into the backstory of this character i think it's fascinating what you could do with them and that's bishop now they used a bishop type in um uh the 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 just canceled x-men uh adjacent series what was the name of it again uh that was just on fox i really liked it it Damn it, I can't remember the name of the show. But anyway, I, I like the show, and they had a Bishop-type character in it. But really, to me, it's Bishop. And that's what I've said for a long time. Actually, if you go all the way back to the 100 million view party of AMC, not the John Campus show 100 million view party, but the AMC 100 million view party, uh, we did a live stream back us, and somebody there asked during the Q&A part, what's you know a character we haven't seen yet that you'd love to see? I have said it then, and I'll say it again today, Bishop. I just think there's so much you can do with Bishop. I think there's a, a profoundly, really rich, interesting background of the character that I think would be really, really cool to do. All right, guys, that will do it for today's installment of the John Campia Show. Thank you so much for being here and being a part of it, guys. Listen, a lot of crazy stuff going on in the world. It's more important now than ever that you do the four main things. Stay smart, stay safe, take care of yourselves, and please take care of the people around you as you're doing it. And that's the key and important thing. Thank you to Aaron Cummings for being here. Guys, thank you for all of you for taking a part of your day to join us here on the show. And especially to all of you guys who sent in questions, not just because you gave us great fun things to talk about, but you supported the channel while you were doing it. And all of us here at the John Campia YouTube channel, thank you guys very much for that. Don't forget, we'll be back again tomorrow. Make sure you come back and join us. Same time, same place. That will do it for me for now, guys. Thanks a lot for being here. My name's John Campia. And until next time, my friends, bye-bye.